0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are uh, in the third of four weeks of our Christmas series titled, not that, The Christmas Carol. Um, And what we're trying to do is we're taking the story of Advent, this idea of God's people waiting for the coming of Jesus, and we're smashing it into the Christmas carol, this uh, literary classic by a guy named Charles Dickens. And uh, Advent is this time of year when God's people take the time to understand what it means that Jesus is coming back and that he's come. And there are four weeks, and each week there is an emotion or an idea or a truth that we center ourselves on. And the third week, the one that we're in right now, uh, is this idea of joy, this idea of joy. Uh, The joy that we are provided by Jesus, that He came, what He does when He comes, what He accomplishes when He comes, and what we are because He came. And so we're going to spend some time this week looking at this idea of celebrating well, looking at this idea of celebrating distinctly so that we can understand uh, the Christmas season in a, in a biblical way and, uh, and be distinct from the rest of celebration, all right? So let, let me uh, read, why don't you stand with me, let me read Luke chapter 2, verses 7 through 15 so you can get a sense of where this idea is coming from, and then I'm going to pray for all of us then we will get to it. All right, you guys good? Still no snow? I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah? All right. The fog's a little weird, but whatever. All right, Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. And she, that being Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him, that being Jesus, in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over a flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. joy. Not just joy, great joy that will be for how many people? For all people, that's right. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was... With the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And let's pray. God, we we know that what we're about to do is a a sacred time as a spiritual family uh, to open up your word and hear from the Holy Spirit. And so God, we want to, ask you to prepare our hearts, prepare our hearts as you seek to point us toward Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of all men, to glorify him, to speak of him, to celebrate him, to rejoice in who he is and what he's done. God, would you accomplish these things for us today as we seek to celebrate well, as we seek to understand better, as we seek to obey you because you're good and faithful and trustworthy. Would you do these things, God, for your glory in our midst and for our joy, Well, thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So we have this idea of Advent coming and of joy. And uh, I said to you that we're trying to understand this through the tool of the story of a guy named Ebenezer Scrooge. And uh, Scrooge uh, was a movie that I grew up with, thinking it was actually called Scrooge. Uh, It's actually called The Christmas Carol. Um, And I didn't know that it was a book. And so growing up, when Christmas came, my mom got out the VHS uh, and said, it's time to watch Scrooge. And we sat down, and she made hot chocolate, and we watched Scrooge generally three to five times a year. So uh, I'm 36, so you can do the math, right? And uh, not just any Scrooge, we watched the Scrooge with Albert Finney. That was the definitive. That was the only one that mattered, right? It's like Apple. It's the only computer that exists. Um, And so we would watch it, and I have that thing pretty much memorized. And then I recently got through the actual book. Imagine a book. Um, And uh, and, and that movie and the book are kind of hand in glove. Here's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge is a guy who is really sold out to the values of financial wealth. And he is partnered with a dude by the name of Jacob Marley who dies. And Scrooge goes about celebrating Christmas or not celebrating Christmas. And he's known for what phrase? Bah humbug. Bah humbug! yeah. And so Marley does what any good dead friend does, right? He shows up. He shows up to Scrooge and he says, Scrooge, you're screwing up this celebration thing. And to help you, I'm going to send you three spirits or three ghosts. The ghosts of Christmas past. The ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. I made the mistake of saying Christmas future at West today, and I was vehemently corrected. The ghost of Christmas yet to come. And we talked about this idea of Advent being that because Jesus has come, we have hope in our past. That a lot of us, like Scrooge, have things in our past that impede us from celebrating well, impede us from enjoying the opportunities that we have in our culture and our life to really focus ourselves on the goodness of God and respond well. And because Jesus has come, we have hope that even though our past, our story, might have things in it that are broken and hurt us and bring baggage into our lives, that Jesus is greater than that. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And then last week, we saw this idea of peace in the present. This idea that because Jesus has come, uh, I can receive and live in the peace and the present of God's presence And the present of being present that I can celebrate well because I can be fully present in a moment because Jesus has come and Jesus has accomplished what he has. And then this week we're going to look at this idea of joy for the future. Joy for the future. Now I say that and you go, okay, we're going to talk about that. But that is an incredible, incredible idea. Joy for the future. And I hope to explain that to you as best as I can here today. And so Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past, visited by the ghost of Christmas present, and visited by the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And this is the one that when I was a little kid freaked me out, right? I mean, the dude with a hand coming out of the robe, and he points into the grave. And Scrooge has the opportunity to look into the future, and his response is not joyful, right? His response is that he acknowledges where he is in the present, and he wants the future to be different, but he doesn't know if the future can be different. And this is an important question for us. Can people change? Can people change? Can the future look different? And we're going to talk about that next week, so you're going to want to be here. But Scrooge, in the moment, looks into the future and doesn't have joy for the future because he can't see it. He can't see it. And this is, a, this is an interesting idea for us. So let me unpack this how I can. Uh, the way that I think about this idea of joy for the future uh, is best represented for me in the birth of my kids. All right? And let me tell you what I mean by that. When Ash and I, when, when, when we became man and wife, we started to have the conversation that all couples have. When should we start having kids? And I, for some ridiculous reason, said, I think we should wait five years. I don't know why. We, we got married pretty young. Uh, and so I said, I think we should wait five years. And kind of end of the story here, Noah, Ash went into labor with Noah on our five-year anniversary, all right? So it's kind of like God was like, I heard you say it, it's gotta be. Uh, and so Noah was born one day after our five-year anniversary. But about three years into our relationship, you know, by God's grace, I, we, you know, we're doing all right and started to talk about, man, we'd like to have kids. And so we started to try, right? And, uh, and found out that we were gonna have a baby, And for a guy in particular, uh, or for me in particular, uh, there's a lot of joy connected to that future possibility, right? Uh, I started thinking about, you know, is it gonna be a boy? Or a girl. If it's a girl, we're gonna buy her lots of dresses and Barbies, and I'm, you know, I and I'm actually I'm gonna play. It's gonna be awesome. If it's a boy, he's gonna root for the Browns and the Buckeyes, right? And uh, eat steak with me, and you know, and they're gonna love Jesus and God's going got lots, lots of future orientation around that, and lots of lots of joy, as it were, um, until about three months into it, when we found out that uh, Ash wasn't pregnant anymore. And uh, ladies, whenever a guy finds out that he's about to have a baby, he's got kind of a surreal thing. And whenever a guy finds out that he's not to have a baby, give him some grace. It's hard to wrap our head around. Uh, but just to watch my wife grieve through that was it was really brutal. And so we started to think through. Okay, you know, we still want to have a family, and um, let's try again. And so we did, and we found out we're going to have a baby. And I, I, with a little less. Uh, joy, to be honest with you, started to think through, okay, um, in the future, and about 10 weeks into it, she wasn't pregnant anymore. And so then it was like, man, this is, uh, this is, this is not joyful, right? And so we, we began to pray through, and we went and saw some docs and did all that kind of thing and found out that Ash was pregnant again. And, uh, and, and what I realized was that as I looked into the future Uh, I I didn't have a lot of joy this time, right? I had a lot of fear and I had a lot of anxiety and I had a lot of, come on, God, like, don't do this again. And not that I think that God did it, but just looking into the future and, and having a joyful response is difficult because I'm not in the future. And so to be honest with you, when I think about this idea of joy for the future, the best that I can really conjure up is hope for the future. You know what I'm saying by that? Because I'm in the present, and I know what I want, uh, but I don't know what it's going to be, and I don't know how I'm going to feel about it when it gets here. And, and, and by God's grace, he gave us a healthy little boy named Noah, who's now, you know, not so little. And I remember when he was, and, you know. And, uh, and then Emma, who was less planned for, but we're incredibly grateful. She's the prototypical princess, right, with just a little bit of attitude, uh, and that's good. So she can survive in the Dunhouse. house. And then, you know, number three, Isaiah with his huge head and his great smile. And, uh, you know, we're, we are so incredibly blessed. But the reality of it is that, that joy, if I think about it, for me, is almost always something that's in hindsight. Does that make sense to you? Like, I can look back and I can remember the first time I was introduced to Noah. And I can remember a sense of joy. But I had a hard time looking forward to when I would meet Noah and having a sense of joy. Because I couldn't really wrap my head around it. And I think that this is a biblical sentiment. If you think about the story of Christmas. We're introduced to a mommy. Right? We're introduced to a mommy who's a virgin. Which, you know, if you slept through health class. Those two things are not normally compatible. And, and, and the, an angel comes to her. And says, you're going to be a mommy. And she says, well, I slept through health class. So, uh, you know. And. Not only are you going to be a mommy, but you're going to give birth to God. God's going to be your son. And we always read that, and we're like, wow, man, that's crazy. But do you think that she had comprehensive joy around the future in that regard? I bet she didn't. I bet she didn't. I bet she was like, man, people are, what are people going to think about me? I mean, people are going to think that, that I did things that I didn't do. And what's Joseph going to think about me? And then as she, you know, started to get that baby bump, I bet that she started thinking about what? what is this, what is this boy going to be like? I mean, he's God. When I say go clean your room, is he going to be like, for real? <laughs> uh, like, you're going to tell me? to Like, I created this earth, and you want me to clean up my Legos? Like, I don't think so, lady, you know? Like, and, 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 you know, we know that they weren't incredibly well off, and so I imagine that her looking into the future, uh, there was a lot of hope. But I imagine that the joy was kind of muted by questions and doubts and fears and anxiety, just like it was for me. And I imagine that whenever Jesus finally came out and she could look back on the faithfulness of God over time, look into the past, I imagine that her joy in hindsight was full. But the perfect comprehensive joy into the future, that's that's a That's a different thing. And so when we're talking about this idea of joy for the future, I need you to understand uh, this is an incredible idea. And it's a miraculous idea uh, in this regard. I think that as I process future and joy as tandem, hand in glove, to be able to look in the future and have have actual joy, not just hope, not that hope is bad, but joyful hope, uh, it can only occur... If I have complete belief about something in the future, number one, that my belief is that that thing that will happen in the future has a a qualitative element, in other words, it's better than when I am now, and that there's nothing that can stop it from occurring. Does that make sense to you? And so the reason that I had a hard time after, in God's sovereignty, we, you know, sent two babies to heaven... uh, was because I didn't then know if we were going to actually have Noah. I could think about how great it was going to be, but I didn't know if it was going to happen, right? And I imagine Mary had a lot of hopes and a lot of optimism and a lot of kind of giggly joy, but to really think, what's this going to be like? She didn't know that it was going to happen. And so to look into the future and to have joy... The necessary elements of that are, I know it's going to happen, I know it's going to be better, and I know nothing can stop it. Are you with me? Okay. I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts, um, his nickname, (laughs) this is like a real ghetto nickname, all right, so hang with me, the father of hymns. Like, yo, father of hymns, what's up, right? He authored over 750 songs, and he worked off of this belief, check check this out, that God's people needed a more demonstrative worship. In other words, you should be able to see them worshiping. What a novel idea. That worship wasn't supposed to be frozen chosen, right? We're very happy, only on the inside. But he wrote songs that God's people could celebrate and sing and maybe even sway a little bit, I don't know. And this was a pretty radical idea at the time. And so he kept writing songs and kept writing songs. And he wrote some songs like, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, which maybe to you, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of rhythm, but, you know, back in the day. And these are deeply, deeply gospel-centered, profoundly beautiful songs, if you read the words. He wrote another song called, At the Cross. I mean, this is a guy who loved Jesus, who loved the gospel, who loved the cross, and loved to write songs that God's people could sing together could sing together to celebrate who he was. I like this guy. Isaac Watts wrote one of the most famous Christmas songs of all time. Anyone want to guess what it was? I'll give you three guesses. What would you say? Holy cow. All stars. Joy to the world. Isaac Watts wrote a Christmas song called Joy to the World, and we sang it 15 minutes ago, right? And, And we sing it every Christmas. I mean, it's like... It's like the starting lineup of of Christmas carols. Here's the only problem. When Isaac Watts wrote the song, he didn't intend it to be a Christmas song. Didn't intend it to be a Christmas song. About 100 years later, a guy kind of reworked it and put it to uh, 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 another um, author of songs. I forget what the technical word is, but you know what I'm saying. And it just kind of got put into the Christmas itinerary. Whenever Isaac Watts, this godly, gospel-centered, wanting people to demonstratively worship God, this kind of guy wrote Joy to the World. He didn't write it for the first coming of Jesus. He wrote it for the second coming of Jesus. It was a second coming song, not a first coming song. And in that sense, it's less a Christmas song and more an Advent song. And so I want you to listen to the words of this song uh, in the idea, not that it's about when Jesus came, but that Jesus is coming. Listen, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Did he reign the first time that he came? He didn't. The Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. When does that happen? It happens when Jesus comes back. He rules the world with truth and grace. He makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Isaac Watt believed that there was something that was going to occur in the future. Isaac Watt believed that that event in the future was going to bring to pass something better than what then was in the present. And Isaac Watt believed that there was nothing that could stop it from occurring. And Isaac Watt believed that the emotion that would be created by that event was what? Joy. Joy. Isaac Watt believed that you could look into the future and have joy for it. And not just me, and not just you, but the entire world. Isaac Watt believed that there was something coming that was so grand and so beautiful and so definite that everybody would not just have hope, but they'd have joy. And not just joy, the kind of involuntary joy that was demonstrative. And so he wrote this song to give God's people an opportunity uh, to prepare for that day and to remember the joy that they had, not just for today or the past, but into the future. And one of the most important lines in that song is the third line. Listen to it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart... What? What? prepare. Let every heart prepare. We talked about hope in the past, which is kind of God rewriting the story. We talked about peace in the presence, which is God being in the story, right? But Isaac Watt believed that this definite, better, uh, beautiful, joyful thing was coming, and that God's people should prepare, based on the joy that they had, for the, for the definitive nature of its coming, and so how, how do we prepare in joy for the future? Let me give you three things. Go to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Are you with me? First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 and listen to this. Though you, us, have not seen him, that being Jesus, you love him. There's lots of people in this room today who we've never laid eyes on Jesus in a physical sense, but... We love him, amen? Yeah, we love him. And and Peter is calling this out. And then he says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with what? With joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here's my idea. My idea is that right here and right now, there is not very many things that we can look into the future and have definitive joy. In fact, there's only one. And it's the second coming of Jesus. And at the second coming of Jesus, we will stand with and before God, and the entire earth will rejoice that he has finally come and finally set things right and finally put things in order. And my belief is that in the present, I can joyfully prepare for the definite future. And so how do I do that? The first is this. Peter says, even though you don't see him, you what? You love him, and even though you don't see him now, you you believe. What's the definition of faith in the Bible? To believe something that you can't see, right? To believe something that you can't see. And so the first element of preparation, of joyful preparation for the definite future, is very simply belief. It's very simply belief. And so let me say it to you this way. I believe right here today that I'm afraid of the world that my children will grow up in. Are you with me on that? I'm concerned. I mean, I've got seven, five, and about to be six in 20 months, and the world is a broken place, and it's a violent place, and I I feel like it's my job to prepare them uh, for what they're going to face, but that's an intimidating deal. And I believe that what the world needs isn't a different politician, isn't new policy, isn't new legislation, isn't new regulation. It needs a better king. I believe that it needs... A better king. And I believe in God's version of the future. I believe in God's version of the future. And that version of the future is that the king came, but he came as a lamb, not a lion. And that he did what he was called to do and that he went back to the father, but not to stay there because he's one day coming back. And the reason that he's coming back is because I believe that that king is powerful enough to change everything. You know, the belief isn't just that Jesus comes back, it's also the belief that when he comes back, he can do something about it, right? And I believe that God's version of the future is that right now I'm in the midst of a broken system, of a broken world because of the sin of man, and that God sent Jesus to die for the sin of the world, but he's sending him back not as a lamb, but as a lion. And I believe that when that lion shows up, he knows what is broken and he has the power to fix it. And I believe that that king isn't just powerful, I believe that he's loving. I believe that the king looks down at the brokenness and looks down at the heart of daddies and mommies like you and me who are afraid of what the future holds and says, I can do something about them and I love them enough to not sit on my throne and watch it. I love them enough to come to him and fix it for him. I believe that that's the version of the story as God wrote it, that God does not leave us in our brokenness, in our fear, and in our anxiety, in our sin, But that he comes to us and he does something about it. And here's the most important thing. I believe that that king has a name. And that his name is Jesus. The first way to prepare for the second coming is to believe that the king's name is Jesus. And that he's not only the king, he's the savior. Maybe you're sitting in here today and this is an idea that you haven't necessarily processed. What does the future hold for you? What does the future hold for you? The Bible makes it very clear. God loves you. God is powerful enough to save you. And in order for you to have a future according to his plan and his purposes for your blessing and for your joy, he says, I saved you. Will you let me be your king? Will you let me be your king? The gift of Christmas to understand that the king came and the king is coming and I'm somewhere in between. And do I believe That He is the only King. Not just a King, the only King. And do I believe that I need a Savior? And do I believe that that Savior has a name? Jesus. And that when He came, He died on a cross, not just because, but for me. To die for my sin, to die for my brokenness and yours, and the ones that come out of our brokenness together. And I believe that the first preparation is to say, you are my King, and you are my Savior. And if you've never done that, I believe that today you can. And if you're in here today and you have done that, this is an opportunity for you to look back and say, I have a king and his name is Jesus. And when I look into the future, I don't see my brokenness. I see his redemption. I see his redemption. And I believe that even though I can't see him, even though I see other things that don't make sense of, I believe it. And because I believe it, when I look into the future, I have joy. Yeah, I have joy. The next way, Peter goes on and he says, not only is it belief, it's belief that's emotional. It's belief that's emotional. Listen to verse eight again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here's the only way that I know how to explain that. The very first time that I laid eyes on my firstborn. Do you know what I said? Nothing. I couldn't conjure anything up. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I had just watched my wife, who I love, labor unconditionally, sacrificially, through, through, through pain and torture, right? And out of her womb came this thing. Not like I expected, right? Because I've watched too many Hollywood movies. But came out, and I immediately, immediately adored him. And I immediately threatened everyone in the room. If you all do anything to him, I will kill you. <laughs> and they're like, yo, we, we, helped you, we helped him get here. All right, I'm just saying. I'm just a little worked up. What is it? Joy. Joy. That's exactly what it is. Joy that I don't even know how to talk about. Joy that I can't really wrap my head around. Joy that, joy that uh, all of the hope culminated in that moment. Right, God, are you gonna are you gonna give us a baby or not, man? God, are you gonna give us are you gonna give us an eternal soul? Are you gonna let us be this sacred office of a parent? And then to watch him come out and cut the cord—that was a little freaky, but whatever, you know. And just to feel completely overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. Here's what Peter says: uh, the idea of believing, even though you can't see, should fill you with joy that you it's just almost too grand. And what does he say? It's filled with what? It's filled with glory. Here's what I believe: I believe that God gives us moments of celebration. Uh, and gives us moments of significance that are just slices of glory. And, and the reason that I think it's important for God's people to talk about celebrating distinctly is so that we don't miss them. Does that make sense to you? You know, you have that moment and you just go, "This is this is bigger and better than I can wrap my head around." And what will the kingdom be like? What what will it be like to stand in the presence of Jesus? What will it be like to worship him, not, not at a screen, but directly to him? What will it be like to have him wipe away every tear? What will it be like for the lion to lay down with the lamb? What will it be like for the child to put their hand in the snake hole? What will it be like to have peace, true peace, because the Prince of Peace is here? What will it be like to not have to do any more hospital visits? to not have to do marriage counseling, to not have to do funerals? What will it be like to not have arguments? What will it be like to not have wars? What will it be like to have true, pure, unadulterated, comprehensive peace, joy, and love? What would that be like? And I believe that in the same way that I hoped for the birth of my son and my daughter and my son, and I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I longed for that day, and the emotions it created, I think that Christians should do the same for the kingdom. I think that we should think about what will it be like when Jesus comes back? What will it be like when all wrongs are put right? What What will it be like? And that hope gives way to an emotion that's holy. You hear what I say? Gives way to an emotion that is holy, and inexpressible and filled with glory. I think that Christmas isn't a time that we long for presents. It's a time that we long for a better king. And I think that the news helps us, (laughs) right? How long? How long before you come back? How long before you make this right? I mean, I'm getting speechless on the bad side. I want to be speechless on the holy side, man. Enough. 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 I believe that you're coming. I believe that you're powerful. I believe that you're loving. I believe nothing can change that. And I believe that I want it yesterday. So when I gather with God's people to pray, there's this angst that's full of joy. It's coming and nothing can stop it. But doggone it, I want it right now. I want it right now. Whenever I was growing up, my folks used to take me to the nursing home around Christmas time. And we would go through the halls and we would sing Christmas carols. And at the time it felt weird and awkward and maybe it still would, I don't know. But I think it was a really great parental decision. And the two songs that I remember always looking forward to singing were Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know what I'm talking about? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the reason was because it was that, oh, I always thought that sounded cool. Uh, Here's the thing. Belief that is emotional is stewarded by heralding. Do you know what, what happened to me whenever I found out that I was having a, a baby? I told everyone. Right? I'm like, hey, sir, how you doing? My name's Tim. I'm about to have a baby. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, I Facebooked, I Instagrammed, I tweeted right? I mean, I even went back to MySpace and put, I'm having a baby, y'all. People were like, I didn't see that because no one's on MySpace. Um, yeah, what did I do? When I believed something and it created an emotion in me, I wanted to share it. The first time that Jesus came, who did God use to herald the news of Christ's arrival? Angels. <laughs> Angels. These glorious beings come down from heaven. Boom, hey, good news for you. And the shepherds, listen, I mean, I want you to think about this. The shepherds are out in the middle of the mundane, and an angel appears and says, yo, you need to get to Bethlehem. This and this and this is going on. And then what does it say? And then oh, the heavenly host appeared. Just to give you an idea, that's tens of thousands of angels. It was like up in heaven, they, they just couldn't keep quiet, right? Come on, let me, let me say something, let me say it. And then as soon as Gabriel gets done, they're like, what? What is that? It's belief that gives way to emotion, that gives way to, hark the herald angels sing. Who does God steward with heralding in the second coming? Me and you me and you, to look into the future and say, there's almost nothing that can provide joy for what I don't yet know unless God went out of his way to promise us that it was going to happen, that it would occur, uh, that it would be better, and that nothing could stop it. So in that belief, I have this emotion that's overwhelming and inexpressible and practiced for glory, and I just want people to know about it. I just want people to know in the same way that a mommy wants people to know that she's about to have a baby, in the same way that a daddy wants people to know that he's about to have a baby, in the same way that, that, that you're overwhelmed, that you're just telling anybody indiscriminately because it's so beautiful and so significant and so glorious and so joyful that the idea of not telling somebody, it just feels like it might explode out of you. That's joy for the future. And that's the joy that we have In Jesus, knowing that the kingdom is coming. And that's why God says, when you pray, (laughs) pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I believe it. And here's the thing that you need to understand. Scrooge sat in the present (laughs) and had questions about the future. You and I have answers about the future that should create questions in the the present. What should my life look like knowing that that is absolutely coming? What should my disciplines be? What should my practice be? What should my worship look like? What should my celebration be about? Is it distinct? Is it beautiful? Is it attractive? Is it inviting? And the beautiful thing about Christmas is that when we think about it that way, you are in prime real estate to practice. And so this week, would you just spend some time with God, maybe take a walk, there's no snow, it's not that cold yet. And just say, God, what will the kingdom be like? What will it be like for no more calls about in the hospital, no more brokenness in relationship, no more tears, no more wars. But peace and love and joy, what will it be like when you're here? And just dwelling And imagining in the same way that I did when I found out I was going to have Noah, Emma, and Isaiah. What will it be like? And see where God leads your heart. And see how God fills your heart. And see how it might not only change your celebration, but change your life. All right, Stand with me. A couple ways that I'd like you to respond. One is that we go back to the cross when Jesus put, put that stake in the ground. And we remind ourselves of his love for us and of his power over sin and death. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and he's your king, we'd love you to come up and celebrate that with communion. We pray together, and we pray together because we have things in the moment that we believe God is powerful over and loving in, and sometimes we need to be reminded. And so if you want someone to pray with you or for you, they'll be to my left, your right, in the back. And then lastly, we do the obvious. We sing. We herald. And we've got people who love you and are gifted and want to serve you, and so they're going to lead us in worship as we seek to exalt Jesus' name. So please join us. God, we love you today. And I thank you that there's many things that I would change about the past. There's many anxieties in the present, God, but I know the end of the story. And I know that you win. And I know that you're coming. And I know that you're going to make all wrongs right. God, I, I long for that day and I have joy for that day and I believe that day. I pray, God, that you would help it to transcend That you would help it to affect my life, my preparation, the emotion of what that day will be like. And that you'll help me to emotionally pray, long for, and herald, thy kingdom come. That will be done in my life, in this church, in this city, on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you bring that to pass for your glory and for our joy. As your people we say, according to the name of Jesus, amen.